0: What I see the fastest growing companies do is they look at pricing as a process. (laughs) They process, they they continue to optimize price on an ongoing basis, and it allows them to grow a lot faster. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business.
1: howdy finance leaders and welcome to cfo Year, your new favorite finance podcast i'm patrick and i get to speak with experts who are shaping the futures of the world's most exciting businesses in this episode we're trying something new instead of a cfo we've got consultant and go-to-market expert brendan dell to discuss all things pricing pricing and positioning your business are often thought of as the domain of marketers and sales teams but they have a huge impact on finance and CFOs need to know the process. So I quizzed Brendan on all of the above and we tried to bring a new perspective to how CFOs can help their companies. We hope you like it. As always, the show is brought to you by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Brendan Dell, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: And I think the perfect place to start is just to have you have you introduce yourself to our
0: audience. Sure. So um, I started out my career actually somewhere completely different in real estate. And uh, the way I came to go to market strategy was I was tasked with, uh, essentially, I was doing commercial real estate in LA and I was tasked with go get business. And what they wanted me to do was basically knock on doors, go door to door and say, Hey, you know, go walk up and down office buildings on the West side of LA and say, you want, uh, you want more space, you want to lease space, whatever. And so I started doing this cause this is what they told me to do. And, you know, a few thousand door knocks later and getting thrown out of office buildings again and again and so forth, I started to realize this is nuts that this is how they're still doing this, (laughs) you know, that that literally all we're doing is going door to door and asking, (laughs) do you want space? You know, certainly there must be, there must be a better way. Right. So I started teaching myself, go to market strategy, how to position, how, how to go to market and, you know, how to position value. And I started coming up with these strategies to, you know, to, to affect growth for, This little team I was working for, and they were, you know, without getting into the weeds of it all, they were significantly more successful, surprise, surprise, than just knocking on doors again and again and asking if people wanted space. So at that point, um, technology was really growing. I I sort of took my story from this. I I wasn't uh, super happy in real estate, and I started, you know, I was interested in technology and so forth. So I started sharing the story, sharing what I had done. And, um, it, you know, I started incrementing clients and I've just continued to learn, hone the skill and grow ever since.
1: And today that makes you president of, of your own company.
0: Yeah. So today what I do, uh, I consult with technology companies on go-to-market strategy, which is primarily two things in my practice. So from hundreds of. Uh, instances of working with growth stage companies beyond product, the two things that affect growth more than anything else is how do you talk about your product and how do you price your product. So that's that's where we focus.
1: Positioning and pricing.
0: Correct. Why why
1: is go to market strategy do you think so interesting for? say a CFO or a leader of a finance team in a company?
0: So as the CFO, at least from my perspective, what you're looking at is growth, right? Like what you want to do is grow. And depending on how you're organized and uh, you know, your funding and so forth, what you, what you ideally want to do is grow in a profitable way if you can. And what that comes down to is you need to create a customer, right? Like that's the famous Peter Drucker line is the purpose of business is create a customer. Go-to-market strategy is the process of doing that. It's the process of selecting who you're for, of positioning it properly so that those people see more value and see you as the sort of um, only choice for them and then positioning that value with a price so that you can grow in a profitable and and expeditious way and they see value and increment value from the purchase so they stay around.
1: Well, I guess... The, the The place for us to start then is are there kind of keys to setting pricing or keys to identifying your own product strengths to then lead to the right pricing model? Is there kind of a is there just a package that people can install and and have the perfect price?. <laughs>
0: So I don't think there's such a thing as the perfect price, but I do think there's a better way to go about pricing. And so let's call it a more effective way to go about pricing and a less effective way to go about pricing. Um, And so just so we can, we'll define some terms here by effective, I mean, um, a price that's going to produce profitability for the company be seen as valuable and a good deal essentially for the person buying it and produce the least amount of resistance to acquiring those customers. Uh, as you grow, right? Because acquiring new customers is generally the most expensive thing um, for a growth stage company, right? Uh, so when we talk about effective strategy, if people can take one thing away from this, it's that they should be starting, when they when they start with price and really anything in a company, because this is backwards to how most of us do things, they should be starting by with the customer and pricing around the customer versus starting with what's the longer lasting light bulb about their product, in pricing based on that. And Mm. what I mean by that is that rather than saying, okay, we invented this widget that is the most one, you know, focusing on the feature of the thing, right. And then trying to increment price around that it's in a very specific um, and rigored way understanding what specific segments of your market value and building pricing packaging backwards from how they see an increment value versus again your feature stack
1: and in order to find that information it's a lot of market research it's a lot of talking to to real people or are there other kind of ways that you can find that data within a company
0: so let's contextualize this i think if you're talking about a company that already has a that has a product right we're not launching a new product And we're looking at that product in a marketplace. So they've set a price already and they're trying to determine, is this the best price for the product? Is there a better way to price package this product? What I recommend to people is not the market research at that stage, but it's real time experimentation. It's implementing a process and a program by which someone in your company is specifically focused on testing pricing strategies with your actual market, right? Putting different offers in front of them, but in a specific um, and rigored way. And the most important thing when you're talking about SaaS is starting with the value metric, which means what are you charging for? So let's think about Um, A famous, right, Salesforce charges, and this is generally the wrong answer for most companies, but it's the most common is Salesforce charges for seats, right? So that's their value metric. You have more salespeople, hypothetically, you Mm -hmm. will increment more value from their product. So they charge based on more seats. The cost to Salesforce obviously is not significant to scale up and offer you Mm -hmm. more seats in that platform, but the value to you is, and that's how they maintain such high profitability in many cases. For most SaaS companies, testing and understanding how they align their value and charge for it incrementally with uh, the customer's value is going to be the most effective way to increment more revenue at better margins um, and grow faster. I'm happy to share examples if, if that's helpful as well.
1: Uh, absolutely. Why not? Yeah, if you have any
0: yeah. thing to mind. So let's see. HubSpot is someone who does this well. So HubSpot... Right. Let's let's use this as an example. What they could charge for? So HubSpot to to define terms, just in case people don't don't know who HubSpot is. Yeah. HubSpot is a is a um, marketing technology company. Mm-hmm. They sell a marketing automation platform, um, which is basically you know email marketing on steroids, as well as a CRM and some other things. Mm-hmm. The the way HubSpot could charge is like Salesforce, right? They could say the more people that enter our platform. more people the more we're going to charge you or they could uh package right they could just try to talk to individual people and have some features that cost a certain amount and build packages right but what they do is build value around how many contacts are you emailing on a regular basis and what that does is as you as the marketer right the more people you're speaking with the more value you should be incrementing out of the platform And so it's a it's a virtuous relationship. Um, it's a, it's a sticky
1: developed. one too. having having been there, you know, in a, in a really small startup where where we only needed 5000 contacts the first year and then realized we needed 20,000 the next year. They kind of have you at that point, you know, and and that's <laughs> yep. off to them. Like, good work. Uh, yeah. At that point, we sort of had to pay up to, to take the next step
0: yeah and i think those are the so what like we can we can dissect that even further and say what is hubspot doing well first of all it's low friction to start Mm. right if you don't have a lot of contacts and you're early on and you're not necessarily going to see the value yet i don't have to shell out 20 40 100k to get started Mm. right as i grow i can ramp up and then they continue to increment value around that by expanding into other parts of the ecosystem of the business with complementary offerings right like TubSpot has a free, a free CRM and not everyone needs to have a freemium model. I don't, I don't espouse that necessarily, but I do think finding ways to lower friction um, getting started is proving, has proven to be a very effective uh,
1: tactic. Yeah. To compare that again with Salesforce, who you mentioned just before. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not, when you really dissect them, they're not vastly different tools. They're both CRMs essentially with different features, Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why you think, or perhaps you know, why Salesforce went the route that they went, and HubSpot went the one that they did? Because you're exactly right. HubSpot could have charged for seats. Salesforce could charge for contacts.
0: Well, I, from my perspective, the sale so Salesforce, first of all, when they started, it was a very different technology ecosystem, Hmm. right? And the costs of scaling the 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 way costs uh, were in software at that period of time were very, very different in terms of what it cost to create and deploy cloud solutions at that time. Um, and I do think Salesforce was really focused on the sales team, right? So for them, the value was, it's really difficult to, to let's say, tie a software like we're gonna charge you based on revenue or something like that. Mm. So they were focused on on sales leaders and the way they could increment that growth was based on the growth of a sales team. HubSpot, when they started, really was focused on marketers. And so those folks are looking at that audience. Yeah. And so the way they can increment that growth is with the the growth of the contact list.
2: Yeah,
1: But it's interesting, though, because, again, having been in companies where we have moved to Salesforce, mm-hmm. uh, or in fact, where we've had both in place at the same time, being used by similar people at the same time, and often actually that decision, from my perspective, not. Being the decision maker in these cases, that decision more seemed to come down to branding, and in the end, really, <laughs> it was the feeling that, "Hey, everyone's using Salesforce. I guess we need to
0: use Salesforce as well." Well,
1: which I find it's just an interesting
0: thought. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. Here's something that I think finance leaders often overlook, and I, to, in my perspective, mm-hmm. it's to their detriment. A brand is, and this is true in B two B, and there's since we're talking finance folks, there's significant data behind this. (laughs) A brand Mm -hmm. is the single most powerful growth lever that you can find. (laughs) And it's because people buy, whether or not you believe this, people people buy emotionally. And this is true in software also. And the reason is that they're putting their reputations, their esteem out there in front of their colleagues on the line when they make recommendations. And so it is emotionally safe to say, I recommend Salesforce, right? No it, every everyone everyone knows Salesforce. Nobody's gonna be like that was a terrible yeah. when, that was a terrible idea you to recommend Salesforce, right? It's the same reason Gong has invested heavily in brand for those Gong is a couple billion dollar startup now in the sales space. Um, it just it gives people a default to make a decision because no one has time nor generally the expertise to truly line item compare. Is this solution better than that one?
2: Think you have company cash under control? You may have a process to pay people back, but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendus gives you one system to replace your old-fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk.
1: When you go into a business in your role to to help them with uh price to help it with pricing and packaging. Mm-hmm. Are you seeking input from the finance team at any point or from the CFO? And and if not, and that's fine, because it's probably not super common. What would you love to know from those people if you had the opportunity?
0: Well, what I would want to understand from the finance team is is really the way they're looking at the business and the growth levers that they're seeing, right? I think we do seek, or seek input from all the executive team when we're speaking with folks, and at least who I've dealt with, with over many, many iterations is that I, I find that that finance leaders often they get bucketed into this stereotype of they're just focused on spreadsheets. But what I, you know, or like this, this, mm-hmm. this line by line financial picture of a company. But what I meet generally is extremely bright, creative, creative people that are that are looking at the holistic picture and that do sort of get it often that there is a broad ecosystem around what's affecting. Like you, people don't just buy things because it's a number, right? You have to create that customer and that means creating the ecosystem around it. Um, but what I'm asking to come back to your question, what I'm looking for finances, what are the unit economics of the company? What are the, what are the, you know, what are their growth goals? What are they under like, what is the, if you're talking about a growth stage company, they've made promises to the board that they're looking to keep. What does that look like? And so forth.
1: Yeah. What, what kind I mean, to, to, drill in slightly to the unit economics, what kinds of numbers can you use in your role?
0: So those numbers are, when you're looking at the unit economics, I'm thinking less about them in terms of developing the price itself, because ideally we're value pricing in such a way that the, the margins are significant, right? So we're not necessarily looking at that, but it helps me to understand the story of the company, right? Like what are they, what, what, how are they growing? Are they growing profitably? How much are they burning? What does that look like? And so forth. Um, because many growth stage companies are on this, unfortunately, from my perspective, this wheel of just burning capital and raising new money and burning capital and raising new money rather than developing sustainable businesses, which obviously there's a model there and it can work where you just keep raising and keep getting new values. Um, But it it helps me to understand, like, the way people manage their money is the way they're thinking about the company, right? So if you see that they're just raising and burning, that's one story of a company and story of leadership and what they want. If you see people who are trying to build and grow profitably, that's a different story. That's a different leadership focus.
1: You mentioned growth levers earlier, the, the specific growth levers for a company. Are there growth levers that people are not thinking about enough, in your
0: opinion? Well, pricing is one of them. I think one of mm-hmm. the, and there's a lot of data around this as well, that the, I'll try to remember it now that, well, I will butcher it, but I will try. Basically, when when looking at three things, right? <laughs> what allowed for the most efficient growth? And it was acquisition of new customers, retention of existing customers, or optimization of price. That the optimization of price significantly mm-hmm. overperformed in terms of efficient growth. And so what most companies do with price is it's a one-time exercise where they say okay the competitors are sort of charging this um, we want to be a little more premium or a little less premium so we're going to charge that we have this really cool feature over here so we'll charge a little bit more for it and they set it and they, they kick it out to the team and then that's it right they move on what i see the fastest growing companies do is they look at pricing as a process <laughs> they process they, they continue to optimize price on an ongoing basis and it allows them to grow a lot faster. From a finance perspective, I also think some again with the brand piece of it here that investing in the brand and looking at that on trailing revenue, right? How are you growing over a period of time is a big miss. And I I use this analogy a lot of times, which is often anathema to early stage companies, but it's it's the case. If you want to go get in shape, right? People will go. They'll go to the gym. They'll lift some weights. They'll come home, they'll look in the mirror, and they'll go, Am I stronger? Right? Obviously, you're not stronger that day, but you do that for a year and you're you basically you have to be stronger. And that's what a lot of people do with growth activities, yeah. is they go to the gym that day and they have their team come back and they say, Well, what happened? Did we make more money? And they're like, No, not today. And so they go, Yeah, scratch it, right? <laughs> Put it away. Like, just, just go go bang on more doors, right? (laughs) Like that's what they say. And they send the sales team out to bang on more doors, but it's not effective. Like optimizing the price over the long term, Mm. building the brand over the long term are the most effective uh, ways to grow. And it's what builds the biggest winners.
2: If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops... a private Slack group for CFOs and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us.
1: When you come into a business, as a consultant, what kind of questions are you asking to analyze whether or not they're doing these things already?
0: Well, first of all, in a in a from a pricing perspective, do they, if they have a pricing professional, they're in in-house, there's a certain amount of rigor being and they're being deployed strategically, not just as a sort of administrator of price. Mm. <laughs> um that gives you some information, right? But the the way it generally When people come to me, they generally are acknowledging that they're not doing this. Um, (laughs) You know, so I I generally don't have to do, like people generally come and say, we're just not acquiring customers as fast as we think we could be. We're just not sure that our pricing is effective as it could be. Um, We'd like to see if there's an opportunity to grow faster. And so it, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of like digging for me on that side. No, it's it's pretty obvious. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, What do you think sales teams need most from from a CFO or from a finance team? What kind of data could they use or information or even um, just expertise that they may not have themselves that the finance team quite likely will have and could um, sort of donate to the sales team?
0: Wow, that's a good question. First of all, I think what the finance team has is especially as companies grow, individual parts of the business, sales being one of them, get even though they're so they're focused they're focused on growth goals often right sales teams, but they do not see the overall picture of the company, right? They they don't see the full financial story of the company. And that's what the board is seeing, that's what the executives are looking at, and so forth, right? So, understanding that full financial picture so they understand how their part plays a role in that full financial picture, I think, is really important to driving alignment.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of when we talk to a lot of finance leaders who are working with sales teams, one of the key things that they're doing is implementing more analysis skills in that team. So, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about already, like um helping sales teams to understand if I sell this package it is actually worth this much to us versus if I sell this package but but at a bigger scale it's actually worth this much to us and those kinds of it's it's sort of almost feedback from the from the end of the revenue back to the revenue generators if you will i mean obviously the whole company is generating revenue
0: so i'll tell you something else that i i as you talk about that in terms of analysis is that most companies have an 80 20 relationship between their customers profitability and growth meaning that you know that there's a segment of customers that are generally worth the most to that company that are generally um see the most value and so forth but often sales teams are so quota driven that you have people chasing many times customers that are maybe not that profitable that are maybe like i don't want to name names but i'll just uh so uh a uh, growth stage company that I consulted with that they just hit 100 million in revenue and mm-hmm. so they're doing a ton of things right right so this is not to knock them but the yeah. they still have this whole team that's focused on SMB despite of that 100 million like 90 million of it coming from enterprise and then they've got this entire team running around trying to chase all these small leads. And they just because they the mission of the company, I won't go into it, but it, helping the broader team understand that that is not good business. Like, not every dollar is a good dollar, you know, and helping to focus the sales mm-hmm. teams where the good dollars come from is so valuable because most growth stage companies don't just have resources to burn, even if they have raised a lot of money. <laughs> and so yeah. you want to be really focused.
1: Is that, again, we can talk generally, is that a a relic or a hangover of them beginning as an SMB-focused business and expanding, or really much more, as you said, just trying to chase dollars wherever dollars exist?
0: Uh, it's two things. It's chasing dollars where dollars exist, and it's... Um, aspirational on the part of the leadership that part of their mission is to bring this capability again without getting the specifics of the company um that their platform offers to everyone and so they're saying we don't want to leave this segment out of it we want to find a way to empower them and so forth but what it creates is distraction and um it's a drag on the business and it's a drag on the sales team because the folks that are in that those roles then uh, often feel like they're chasing their tail and so forth because it's just it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole in terms of the, the product market fit.
1: I think that's sort of related to something that we do talk a lot about um, with CFOs and in, in CFO Connect, which is expansion, international expansion or new market expansion. Mm. Uh, it's a really big topic that a lot of, you know, CFOs are pretty heavily involved in that because it can obviously mean a lot of yeah, growth. It, it can mean opening new office. It can means growth, but also opening new offices and there's an HR side to it. And there's all sorts of things that the CFO has to deal mm-hmm. with. Is that an instinct that you deal with often as well when you're, when you're working with clients, that idea that exactly as we just said, it may not be best to chase every dollar or, or is there a way that you help them identify whether expanding into a new market or a new, Uh, geography is a good idea
0: i think when you have exhausted the opportunity with your best customers with it like when you start to hit saturation of a category within let's say the u.s where we're generally like on the you know the the faster adopting you know we're generally adopting new technology ahead of other segments Mm -hmm. in the world right um and so when you start to hit a category saturation within that geography, a lot of times it can make sense because they're they're just starting to see the wave a lot of times in any given category in other places. But as you pointed out, there's so many logistics and um, complexities involved with going to international markets that a lot of times it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, if you haven't exhausted where you already are. Because the other thing is that the cheapest form of customer acquisition is word of mouth, right? And so it's easier to increment word of mouth when you when you deal in, for lack of a better word, an incestuous ecosystem, right? Like people who speak with one another and have shared um, sources of information and so forth. And so the more you spread that out, the harder it is to increment that word of mouth.
1: And I think uh, I think probably a lot of companies are also not recognizing that the brand that they've built wherever they are in whichever geography doesn't necessarily just translate directly to the, to the next place. You know, it's, you can't just turn up with the same business card that you use in France, where I am in Spain, translated into Spanish, obviously, and just assume that that message that you're bringing is going to going to work. There is a whole go to market process that happens again and again, even if you're just going over the border
0: uh, in Europe. Well, the values that you'll see between different places are, completely different right and the way they view work can be completely different in the way they view their jobs in the way that all of those things can change so certain things translate really well to international expansion where they uh, the use case is, is very you know automating something something very uh, cumbersome so forth right where, where it's very obvious but some of the other things where it's perhaps more nuanced um, and the value it needs to be, the demand needs to be created more, as you say, it can be an entirely different go to market strategy. Mm.
1: I have a, a fairly vague question for you. Uh, so I hope sure. you will take it in that spirit and, and you go anywhere you want with it.
0: <laughs>
1: it's My question is just basically, what are you thinking about at the moment? What are your kind of, um, obviously related to the work that you do, but what are your what are the trends or the things that you are trying to improve for companies that you work with? Are there any big things that are coming up again and again at the moment?
0: What I think from a software perspective, and it, I mean, could, most of my work is in software and technology and most of it is in considered purchase B2B of one kind or another. And so what I'm thinking about a lot is that so over the last 10 or so years, we've seen this dramatic increase in competition and this is across basically every software category and the reasons are it's much cheaper to build software now there's a ton of capital in the system um entrepreneurship has become the new rock star and so forth right so everybody's building these Mm -hmm. different tools and people have seen a business to business sale as this logical decision that I have this problem and this there's a set of tools that might fix it and I'm going to put rigor to this and fix it. But what we're seeing more and more is that people buy these things emotionally with, I want to be clear, like price as part of this story that you're telling people. I mean, you look at the big winners right now, a lot of them are building this emotional narrative for people. And this may sound fluffy for a finance audience, but one of the things that i would encourage them to think about is that it's not fluffy it's it is very much rooted in a, in a growth in 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 data that this is successful so the essentially what i'm thinking about is the next wave of winners are going to be the ones that can continue to look holistically at the story they're telling a market with the price being a critical part of that and being really intentional about how they're telling that story and what they're and, and the most effective way to position and tell that story. That's a vague answer for you, but (laughs) it was,
1: it was a vague question. As I said, um, no, are there any specific examples of, of brands and businesses that you admire in the way that they've told that story?
0: Yeah, I think so. Gong is someone I mentioned earlier and I think they've done. So taking a step back, they are in a market when they got started. Chorus is one of their competitors. They already existed. Okay, they both essentially do similar things, or did. I, you know, I, I haven't looked at you know the, the feature benefit list recently. Um, but Gong has grown at you know 10x the rate of Chorus. So why Gong changed the conversation? right? They didn't just talk about, we do call recording. They talked about revenue intelligence, right? They told a story of change whereby they said, right now you have your sales teams guessing at the most effective way to go to market. We're going to give you data to optimize and and give you the most, uh, if impactful tactics. And then they built a brand and they're, you'll, you'll hear their growth leaders and their executives talk about this too. their CEO. talks about this a lot that, um, Without that brand, they're competing on price and they're just another call recording software. But the brand that they've built, meaning giving it personality, giving it a feeling, right? Creating premium pricing that supports that. They didn't come down market to compete with Chorus. They just raised it uh, 200 million at 2 billion valuation, I think. Um, And a huge, so it's definitely technology, right? It's definitely those things. But the Mm -hmm. brand, People are always talk about, talking about them. Go on LinkedIn and search search for them. You'll you'll have all these. You don't see anybody talking about Chorus, you know, it's because they they built this brand. They both do similar things, um, so that's one example.
1: Okay, well, we're going to wrap up in just a moment, um, but we always love to finish with some quick fire questions. Normally, as you know, we we do this with um, CFOs, so these will be slightly different, but not too different from what we normally do. Um, so, are you ready? Let's do it. Cool. First one. What is one finance tool or other tool in your case uh, that you couldn't live without?
0: Finance tool. Well, for the business, um, QuickBooks is how we manage everything uh, outside of, you know, we're a small company. But outside of that, um, mm-hmm. my running shoes is the one, <laughs> it's the one tool I couldn't live without. But, really. Yeah.
1: Any, any recommendation?
0: Oh man, that's like you know choosing between children or something. If it yeah, for the Saucony Endorphin Speed Pros is where I would uh is where I would look. I think those are the, the best shoes cool. right now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if there was one part of your day-to-day that you could outsource completely and
0: forget about, what would it be? So, from a finance perspective, I you know, I I essentially do outsource this. But yeah, all the management of all the books and um, expenses and things of that nature, I want to just be able to look at reports uh, at the end of the month and get a picture of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be in the weeds with things. I don't think it's an efficient use of time. Uh, From a broader business building perspective, we create a lot of content um, for our company. And I want to be able to tell the story and I, (laughs) this is something I have not mastered yet, but I want it to appear in the right ways with the right visuals on all the right platforms and just go out there and do what I want it to do. But that's a, yeah.
1: I think there are a ton of companies claiming that they'll do that for you at the moment and sort of trying to do it and are about halfway there, you know, a ton of tools. There are
0: a lot of tools. But like in finance, the mm. tool is only as good as how you use it. And, it, you know, my, the most of those companies who claim they will do it, there are tools to handle distribution. But the key with content mm. is that it's got to be contextual and specific to the platform. Otherwise, it does not. You can't just make an article and post it on Facebook and post it on LinkedIn. It doesn't. Nobody will engage in that way. So it's got to be contextual and specific to the platform and getting that permutation across platforms is unfortunately i i don't have a great way to do it right now other than time but if i could outsource something that is what i would love to see uh, outsourced
1: what is the best advice you've ever received
0: best advice i've ever received all right i'll give you i'll give you two i'll give you one that's uh general and um one that's a little bit finance related So the general advice, I think the best I've ever received was actually somebody that CFOs would like following, a gentleman named uh, Mark Stiving, Stiving, who talks a lot about pricing. And he said, don't run away from what you don't run, run toward what you do. And that he had wished he had started doing that earlier in his life. And I thought that was really good advice because I think a lot of times all of us make decisions in business and in a lot of ways based on fear rather than based on the belief that the goal can come can come true. So I, I really I liked that. And then the finance advice I received was from a, a VC that I was talking with recently. He said, whenever he looks at a deal, he asks himself, why am I getting this opportunity? Like, why am I the one seeing this opportunity? I got I a lot of people emailing me to buy turnkey real estate in the Midwest. And I started, you know, why am I seeing this opportunity if it's such a great opportunity, why aren't you guys just buying up swaths of houses you know and and and, and um, holding them and so forth? So I think that I thought that was a really useful way to think about any kind of thing that's put in front of you is do you really have some value add to the situation or is this maybe something uh, that is not such a great opportunity?
1: And last one, which other leaders or or anyone really? Who else do you talk to or learn from regularly?
0: Do you want like authors or do you want um, like? Uh,
1: I think yeah, prof- professionals. If there are professionals in your network that you love uh, chatting to,
0: yeah. Um, so like, or even just
1: classes of of professional, if that makes sense. Types of people.
0: Types of people. Well, if we want specific, I think that Mark Stiving, in terms of pricing, he has uh, great information. I think, let's see. I really, so this is not a professional, but I think he's an extremely bright thinker is Naval Ravikant, who's a uh, an angel investor and founded an Angels List. He's an entrepreneur. I think he just has got an extremely clear and bright mind and way of thinking about things. And there's a book called like that, the Tao of Naval Ravikant or something of that nature, Almanac of Naval. And there's just a, that thing is loaded with useful information. Um, and from a professional standpoint, from a go to, this is maybe not for best for finance folks, but from a go to market perspective, there's a gentleman, a friend of mine named Troy O'Brien from Expedia group who I've known for many years. And he, um, he's just extremely bright about all this go to market stuff and fun to kind of, talk about things with
1: mm. someone to follow on linkedin maybe
0: yeah uh, he doesn't post too much um on linkedin i think justin welsh is a good follow from a sales perspective um
1: perfect and yourself of course
2: of course
0: follow brendan of course yeah
1: <laughs> brendan dell thanks for joining us on cfo yeah
0: hey thanks for having me
1: cfo Year is brought to you by cfo connect the fastest-growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.